Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. So glad you're here. Let me do just a little bit of catch up. I know we have some folks that haven't been here the rest of the month. And so we're using Ernest Holmes' book, The Art of Life, to talk about us being co-creators of our own destiny. And in fact, the first week of the month, we talked about the idea of God as being powerful, as being on our side, as capable of bringing all of the love, the joy, the peace that we desire, uh, having that capability. And last week, we talked talked about how our thoughts become things, how we can actually become creators of our own existence, that by uh, using our thoughts in a productive and a conscious way, we can really change how our lives are playing out. Uh, Today I want to talk a little bit more about that idea, but first I want to talk about the sense of where this information comes from. You know, I would like to think that Ernest Holmes and and all of his wisdom and amazing abilities invented all this stuff, but that, of course, would be a complete lie. And so I want to talk to you just a little bit about this principle. So as long as there has been any form of writing, even on stone tablets, this idea of our thoughts becoming things has existed. So uh, in in its oldest incarnation, uh, in hieroglyphic format, uh, it was presented as a hermetic principle, as above, so below, as within, so without. But of course, even before then, as mentioned in the Upanishads and India, uh, other places have known about this great wisdom. So if this has been around for so long, Why are our lives still so messy? It's not like this is hidden wisdom. And today I want to talk about why it is that our life isn't just rich with the the beauty and the love and the glory that comes from this teaching. Because I believe it could be. And I think that part of the idea is knowing how it works isn't always quite enough. And so that's what I want to talk about today. And uh, some of you who were here last week remember I assigned you perhaps the worst homework ever. And so uh, the homework was, what are you thinking? Because if our thoughts become things, then the real question is, well, well, what am I thinking? I look around and I see some of the things in my life and I have to go, what was I thinking? And so uh, my homework, I, you know, I, I take my own medicine. I'm a good boy. And so I, I took a little notepad with me throughout the week and was taking notes as often as I could, especially when I was feeling uncomfortable. And there were a few times when I was feeling uncomfortable, I'm taking notes. And so I, I would like to present at least one aspect of it. And so I got talked into, and it didn't take much talking into, uh, to doing Thanksgiving dinner for 12 people coming up. And uh, when I initially said yes, I went, oh, what fun, I'll be with friends and family. And then the overall thought of cooking to make 12 people happy <laughs> settled down into my heart. And I was thinking, you know, Thanksgiving is actually kind of a big deal for people, right? They have their favorite foods that they were raised with. A lot of the people coming to my Thanksgiving, I don't know what they like. I mean, I got hung up just in the store looking at potatoes. (laughs) 
I mean, there's, well, think about it for a minute, right? There's sweet potatoes. Some people like to have roasted potatoes that were cooked with the turkey. Uh, a friend of mine loves scalloped potatoes, that I know. I got into a discussion with someone at Winco about whether or not sweet potatoes are actually more nutritious or better than yams. And we haven't even started talking about mashed potatoes, right? How many people like garlic in theirs and how many don't, right? It's like I'm doomed, right? <laughs> it's like I'm doomed. And so my notebook is filling up with, and finally I just had to put the notebook down at least on this issue and say, well, no, wait a minute. What is the purpose here? The purpose is to have a lovely day with friends and family. And so I started calming myself and, you know, there may be some minor potato disappointment <laughs> going on, but what I know is the true gift, the true day is about us. But, but think about this for a moment, right? Just the potatoes alone were a big upheaval in my mind. Now, now of course, it's just Thanksgiving, it's just a day, it's just a meal. But that level of mental confusion and upheaval, think of it for a minute in some area of your life where it's actually really important. Because don't we have mixed messages going on in our heads? Aren't our minds full of contradictions? Well, this, my belief, is why this permetic principle is not put to better use in the world. It's because our thoughts are becoming things and our thoughts are mixed up. Our thoughts are full of conflicts. It isn't just whether the mashed potatoes should have garlic in it or not. We're mixed up about our jobs. We're mixed up about our relationships. We have conflicting information about uh, what we would like to see for our own lives and for the lives of our families. We have mixed up ideas about how politics are supposed to work. We have mixed up ideas about what success means. When we have conflicting and mixed up thoughts in our head, it's not surprising then that the world looks the way it does. Now here's a place where I think that Ernest Holmes, the founder of Science of Mind, actually offers us some help. He called it the idea of making a mental equivalent. And I'd like you for a minute to play along with me. We're going to build a mental equivalent. Now I know that some of us are retired. Some of us are probably not in the workforce right now. But play along anyway. I'd like us to build a mental equivalent of an ideal job or vocation. So for right now, close your eyes. Maybe, in fact, maybe this will be so compelling that those of you who are retired will want to go back to work. But, but imagine if you would, the ideal job or vocation. Now it may have been something that you have done in your life. Maybe it's only a dream of something you've never done. But imagine the ideal job or vocation. Now it's a job, of course, that uses all of your skills it's a job where you are handsomely rewarded with benefits and, uh, and good wages. But beyond that, it's the ideal place or avenue to work. The people around you are cheerful and helpful. Everyone feels committed towards a, a goal. And so it feels like really being on a fun and playful team. 
Now you get to decide the, the bigger parameters around this. Do you have a private office? Do you have a, a special lunchroom when maybe the meals are served? Again, picture the most outrageously wonderful working environment. Are you inside or are you outside? Is it an office setting or are you in a cabaret somewhere? Truly, picture yourselves in the most amazing vocation or job you can. And see yourself in it, literally. See yourself on stage, in your office, speaking in front of people, whatever it is, that would absolutely represent the best and finest job or vocation that you can imagine. Just notice even what you're wearing and how you feel. Picture the emotions you have of being in this fabulous place with these interesting and supporting people. Just allow that to settle into your hearts for just a moment. All right, so open your eyes now. I wish I could say we were done. We're not quite done. Now this was hopefully a compelling and beautiful vision in your head, but it came out of your head. Those thoughts are already in there. And I would suggest to you, or ask you, why do you think it is that many of us don't already have that job? Now some of us may actually have been picturing the job that they have right now. It might be that good, and that's cool, but I also know that a lot of us maybe a picture a job that we could we could dream it up in our head pretty darn well, but yet we haven't seen it yet. So again, if our thoughts become things, why don't I already have this job? See, here's the rub. We're back to that mixed up mind. We're not in perfect alignment with our thoughts and our beliefs and our feeling that we could have that job, or that that job would be right for us, or that that job is available, or that that job could be found, or that I deserve that job. There are any number of thoughts contrary to that. Some of you are smiling at me, because you're already thinking of what some of those thoughts are, right? When I think of that, I immediately jump to some negative energy, like, well, am I too old to get that job? Do I have the right skills to get that job? Would I have to go back to school to get that job, right? All kinds of negative, mixed-up thoughts that are absolutely going to stand in the way of God using that co-creative energy that we were talking about of our thoughts becoming what we want to experience. So here's a tip that I have for you right out of Ernest Holmes. We need to dismiss, derail, or change the negative thoughts so that there can be a greater alignment between all of them. So the final step of making this fully blown, if you will, this fully formed mental equivalent is we have to shove out of the way or change the negative thoughts that are blocking us. Now how do we do that? I'll give you my clue. I get out a big pad of paper and just write them all down. I write down all the thoughts that I have on a certain subject. So for instance, if I was doing this, uh, this career, this vocation one, I would write down everything that I thought about that job and me in it. And probably half of them, maybe more than half of them, would be great, would be things I would want to have. I'd write down, they'd be lucky to have me in this job. And I'd write down, I could easily do that job and it would be a great joy, right? I'd write down a whole bunch of positive things. But truth to be known, I'd probably have to write down some things that I'm not so happy to say. 
I might write down the chances of me getting that as a new job at my age are slim to none. Or I might write down, without going back to school, would they really hire me for that job? Wouldn't I need an actual advanced degree in that particular subject? Right? I'd probably write down, I'd have to. To be true to myself, to be true to what I'm currently believing, I'd have to write down, hopefully not an equal number, but at least some of the negative thoughts down that are acting as those barriers to my belief. Okay, so I've got them down. I'd First of all, I'd take a yellow highlighter and I'd highlight all the positive ones. All those positive beliefs that I have about myself and about those jobs, those are the things I can use in affirmations. Those are the things I can use in my prayers. Those are the things I can use science and mind treatments for. When I go into contemplation or meditation, those are the things I would want to meditate on. Those are the things that will bring me what I want. But unhighlighted on that page are the negative and limiting thoughts, right? And in order for my mental equivalent to be complete, I have to dismiss them, derail them, or change them. Now let me give you some examples. How about that one I brought up? Well, at my, the at my age one. Several of you just, just did those words right back to me. At my age one. All right. So what do you think the average age is for people on the board of directors of the Fortune 500 companies? Yeah, 70s and 80s even. I'm talking about Ford and Apple and places like that. Old people, quote, <laughs> old people are intensely valuable. Don't you know some people that, that any, a company at any level would be hard to function if that person just suddenly retired? And I got to tell you, actually, the job, hiring, uh, uh, the job hiring statistics have changed a little bit. They welcome new employees who are older because of their work ethic. So let me tell you, that's one of the ways you can derail that thought. You look at some of the amazing jobs that are held by older people. All right, let's take another one. Uh, a common one is, maybe I just don't deserve to make that much money or have that level of importance. Maybe I'm feeling kind of small. Maybe I came from a family where no one amounted to too much in the world of business or, or in the world of, of earning a living. And maybe there's a little part of me, a little boy part of me, that just doesn't think I'm ready for something that important or that has that much uh, responsibility to it or, or that even has that kind of a benefit package. And I got to tell you, this is at the heart of a lot of people. Even those of us who would like to pretend that isn't true, those thoughts may be there. And we have to work on them. It's got to be on our little sheet and we have to say, no, I am capable, I am lovable, this job could be for me. And whatever we need to do to dismiss those thoughts of not being good enough or smart enough or whatever it is, as long as those linger in me, they will represent a barrier. I won't interview well. I, I won't be able to go through the training programs rather well. What, you know, whatever it was, they will be a barrier. Again, we have to diffuse it, dismiss it, change it, right? 
So one by one, we go through our list of the lacks and limitations, and one by one, we come up with something that we can say that is true and is positive about it. So maybe I would say something like that. Well, maybe a lot of people do have an advanced degree to get that job, but I'm not a lot of people. My experience level, my personality, my ability to plunge in and start getting work done, that is more important than whether I got an, an additional college degree. You need to be able to start changing some of those beliefs in a way that are true for you and that you can turn them into a positive. So one by one, we go through the list so that our mental image of ourselves no longer has any impediments to it. There's nothing, nothing, nothing that is standing in the way of you simply walking into that new reality. When we are in that place, when our mental equivalent has no barriers to it, it comes to fruition easily. It comes to fruition without us hardly even making plans. Suddenly telephone calls start inviting us into it. Suddenly strangers on the street start mentioning us in the light of what we want to have. Suddenly friends and family members and, and people we don't even know will start plugging into those dreams because they see you are for it. 100% committed, conscious, willing to take on whatever it is because it is right for you. It is completely right for you. So I'm going to use an example, and this is kind of a tough one. Um, some of you, uh, well, ha in fact, uh, some people talk about, have you, and have you ever heard this? Well, I've been married for 50 years, if only it were to the same person. And, and I have to say, I, I, I fall into that category. I've been in... Uh, I'm on my third long-term relationship, and, uh, and I would like to think that I kind of have it right now, but let me explain the first two. Uh, the first one, I managed to find someone that liked to take his anger out on other people. Um, I think that's, you know, that will be my, my code word for uh, violence at home. And, uh, and the second one uh, liked alcohol probably more than anything else on the planet. And I participated fully in those. I would love to say that I was just a victim, but thoughts become things. My thoughts about relationships helped to create those relationships. And if I give up on that, if I say, oh no, it was just random chance, then how is random chance gonna bring me what I want now? Do you see? It's like I have to take full ownership for my thoughts bringing about the things, even when there's stuff that I don't like, even when those two relationships did not work out very well. I was right in there, right? I was being the codependent. I was being the one that thought I had to change and that if only I loved him enough, something, you know, daisies would bloom <laughs> or I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. But what I do know was I had all of these thoughts about relationships that were really standing in their way. I believe that relationships were extra hard and that it was a rare one that would last very long. I believe that uh, the idea of, uh, of communication was, uh, was too difficult and it was better to, to step back and just allow things to be rather than stepping forward and working out the issues. I came from one of those families that itself was fairly dysfunctional and when things would get hot, my parents would just cross their arms and walk away, right? 
we're not going to deal with this. Hopefully it'll just boil over or blow over. And what was likely to happen was both. (laughs) First it would blow over and then it would boil over. So I remember about 10 to 15 years ago, it was actually the book that we're using this week, and I was trying to remember what class it was in, uh, and maybe Kate could help me with that, because we actually use this book in one of our classes, and, uh, and I remember taking on the idea of relationships as a mental equivalent. And I wrote down all the things that I loved about the idea of being in a long-term relationship with someone, and I wrote all of my ideas out about the things that might stand in the way, my beliefs that relationships were doomed, my belief that dating was hard and unpleasant and that no one would want to go through it, my, my understandings of what it was to, to be with people in ways that produced friction and, and the whole ideas of, uh, of kind of... Uh, That push-me-pull-you kind of relationship, which was the one that I was used to. It's like, I want you, I want you, I want you, stay away. (laughs) I mean, that was who I was, if you know people like that. And so I had to write all of that stuff down. And then I had to start believing something different. One by one, I had to say, of course I can change. Of course I can be different, I can think different. Of course, relationships can last forever. And I I had to go back into my own history and remember that one of my sets of grandparents celebrated their 65th wedding anniversary together, and they seemed as in love after all those years as I could imagine them when they were young. I had to actually think about, wait a minute, just because my own personal experience has been this way, Why can't my future be that way? Why can't I be that guy? And so one by one, I worked through my list of negative beliefs about relationships, negative beliefs about myself. I built a true mental equivalent. I began taking it into prayer. I began taking it really into my heart as something that I could literally see for myself. A relationship that was easy, a relationship where there wouldn't be barriers to talking things out. A relationship where true kindness for each other was almost paramount. Well, I have that now, but I'm not sure that that would have been true if I had not been willing, not just to have the rosy picture but to actually work through the beliefs that were standing in the way. I honestly believed that relationships didn't work out. It was my experience. It was true in my family. It was true for most of my friends. I honestly believed that a marriage had to be hard work and that you had to give up and give in in order to suit the other person. I had to give these things up to make progress. I had to change my thinking. And not just the things that would be easy to change in my thinking, right? That's back to our picture. We didn't have any trouble coming up with that beautiful picture of a lovely job. But we also have to be willing to ferret out and change all the thoughts that stand in the way of you really being able to embrace embrace it and see yourselves literally and genuinely in it. Well, you can sense that there's a bit of homework to come, but first a treat. I want to tell you about a story. 
Um, so this is right out of chapter six. And see if you can guess who he's talking about. I know the answer. I'll fill you in. But see if you can guess. This is Ernest Holmes in The um, Art of Life. She was trying to break into the motion picture profession, but knew no way to crash the gates. She had become discouraged. She came to me all in a heap. She was discouraged, and the despair had reduced her to a state of hopelessness. But she did have faith, a good old-fashioned, orthodox kind of faith. We have little to add to such conviction as hers, but it does need direction. I asked her to practice the habit of mentally seeing herself as she would like to be and to definitely stop identifying herself with failure and lack. She had to know that every doorway of opportunity was open to her. She had to believe that every talent and ability which she possessed would be gladly recognized, would be welcomed, would be used and properly concentrated for. Well, gradually, the doors opened, the opportunities presented itself, she made good. I have no doubt that most of you have seen her perform many times. Can you guess who he's talking about? One of the early uh, members of the Religious Science Church in Hollywood, California, Della Reese. Now think for a moment what it would have been like for an African-American actress to crash into Hollywood in the 50s. Oh my gosh, that was a dark time. Well, a dark time for women, actually, uh, in, the, in the performing arts in general, but to be a successful black actress at that time, amazing, amazing. So, of course, Della, uh, uh, you know, in over 69 movies, over her career, um, television star, uh, I mean, modern audiences, you know, know her from the, the angel, uh, touched by an angel on television, of course, but, but an amazing performer. The doors opened because Ernest Holmes showed her how to do a true mental equivalent of what she was capable of, what she was worth, and what she was to have. So I want to close today, first of all, by saying, this is possible for you. This is your very nature to claim what is good and what is true and what you would desire. It's our very nature. It's why we have that, that yearning for something better. It's why something's betters even exist, is so that we can accomplish truly our heart's desire. I know that you can visualize that future that you want. I think the only reason we don't see more of it is simply our willingness to put in the time and the effort to weed out the negative thoughts, to put down and discard the beliefs that we're not good enough, that we're unlikely to have it, that it requires too much effort or too much work, uh, that there's something in me that isn't sufficient to have this experience. It's not true. You have that capability. With practice, you can learn to deny the doubt. With practice, you can learn to uproot every negative thought and replace it with something positive. With practice, it's all it takes. It's why so often in the world, though, we do see the world being mixed up because our thinking is mixed up because we don't have the discipline 
to practice positive, affirmative ways of being and thinking in the world. But truly, that's all it takes. I'm going to close with a final quote from The Art of Life. And uh, Ernest Holmes blessed us. He actually wrote a prayer into this section, and so I'm just going to read his prayer. He says, When you examine your thoughts, you will find it is made up of contradicting beliefs. In one moment, you may be filled with faith and with enthusiasm for life, and the next moment, a sense of depression may sweep over you. This shows that the thought patterns oppose each other. And when this happens, mental instability and uncertainty will always follow. Your job, in its simplicity, is to clarify your whole field of thought so that you can live intentionally and think affirmatively. Let us pray. He says, I am surrounded by an infinite intelligence which reacts to my thought. I realize that this creative power of this divine intelligence, that it's with me now, and I know that I am using this power and that my word, operating through it, will cause to bring into my experience the good that I desire. Believing in this divine guidance, I know that my mind is continually impressed with the images of right thought and right action. And I know that everything, everything in my life is controlled by truth and by love. I give thanks for this. I let it be. And so it is. Thank you for being here today. So glad you were here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.